Hey everyone, Eric Watson here, freelance writer, player of games, writer of orange recorder videos, and tabletop role-playing aficionado. Welcome to the Thursday edition of my bi-weekly behind-the-scenes DM-only live stream, Crafting the Deep, in which I build, write, and prepare for our next session of Call from the Deep. If you're playing characters Gottwald, Max, Savra, or Toral, this video is not meant for you, and will be full of spoilers, but the rest of you, of course, are welcome. We stream our D&D sessions live on YouTube every Friday. You can join our official Discord server with invite link in the description below. If you'd like to support the channel, please check out patreon.com slash roguewatson. For our campaign, we use Roll20.net. For streaming, I use OBS Studio. By the way, I saw that uh, Roll20 recently released the uh, like a remastered version of Icewind Dale Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, which just means that all of the new updates that they've been doing over the last like year or so, which if you've been watching my uh, recent Roll20 reviews, you've seen rem Remark on those, which is like, you know, all the new doors and windows functionality and uh, just all the, the the way they do multi-tokens more often and uh, better macro integration, like all these little kind of bells and whistles. Uh, they, I guess they call that a remaster version. I, I haven't looked at that specifically, um, but I guess that would help it's nice that they do that so i'll just say that i don't i don't i haven't looked at it and and seen what all's there but uh it's just hopefully it's just a free update you can do if you already own the damn thing uh but yeah it's available on roll 20 for the better edition now of icewind dale rhyme of the frost maybe that's a roll 20 thing and not necessarily a official dd thing by the way holy hell what is going on at hasbro right now fuck <laughs> i don't want to go off on a rant about this uh during the crafting stream but uh, the headline is that uh, Hasbro has laid off over a thousand employees fucking like two weeks before Christmas, which is, I can't imagine the optics on doing that is insane. And a lot of it from apparently the Magic Gathering and D&D teams, which uh, as far as I'm aware, which is not very aware, uh, those are two breadwinners for Hasbro. Like, I don't know what the hell's going on. D&D, I think, has... Probably in the best shape it's been, I, I imagine, in my lifetime, it has to be. I mean, with everything going on, I mean, they had the D&D movie, which, granted, didn't do super great, but did all right. And Baldur's Gate 3 has done insanely well. 5e has just been super uh, successful. And then 2024 is gearing up for this huge release of all this new content. And to have all these layoffs and stuff for, like, major uh, key players and designers, that's not good. So I am, uh, I, it's just sad anyway when you get layoffs for, you know, successful companies. It's depressing, like in a capitalist society, like, well, wait a minute, like they've done everything right, presumably, but we're not privy to all the details. Uh, you know, it's one thing if a company is floundering and they have had financial problems. And of course, yeah, that's part of the, the problem. But if they're like really successful, and I love that a lot of the, the uh, headlines that are coming out that I'm reading like from Polygon and from Dicebreaker are like, hey, by the way, you know, Chris Cox, who's like the CEO, you know, made millions and millions of dollars and here they're laying off a bunch of people because they need to tighten the purse strings. And yeah, that's, that definitely needs to be said because it is fucking bullshit. So obviously that's a huge heartbreaker. Hopefully all those folks can uh, land on their feet uh, and find companies who are more worth of their talents, I guess. That's, I mean, I'm just, I'm a fan of, um, I'm a fan of Dungeons and Dragons and to see, uh, the company and the designers go through that is just a huge bummer. So, hey, Nate, hey, Lazy DM, apologies about the, uh, little rant there at the beginning. This bro's in deep trouble at the moment. Actually, it's the only thing making enough money for the execs after the OGL. Yeah, they did have the OGL thing. That's true. And maybe maybe that was more damning than anybody realized. You know, I thought they had kind of stemmed the tide and turned things around, um, with uh, with them basically capitulating and completely reversing their decision. But it was very damning for them when they when it got leaked and uh, when they put out those announcements. I mean, I put out my videos. You know, this was back in like, gosh, February I think or something, maybe January of this year. Feels like a lifetime ago. <laughs> uh, so, and, and everybody went and uh, canceled their D&D Beyond stuff. So maybe they're looking at that going, ooh, this is... And I know they're trying to build like a VTT out of it. Like they've got so much... It just feels like such a bad time. I mean, obviously, the holiday is a bad time anyway. But like with D&D with presumably doing all this big ramp up to even bigger stuff and really trying to be a player in like the official virtual tabletop space and, you know, release this new like 5.5e edition, this one D&D, like there's... Like, this is not the time to be cutting people, right? Like, that's really worrisome. <laughs> it's, 
they've got a lot going on. It's it's not like they're floundering and they have to like restructure stuff. It's I think it's been going pretty well and they're going to be releasing this new stuff. But yeah, obviously the OGL was a was a debacle. But then I, I don't I felt like they kind of reversed things. I'm not going to like sing their praises and be like, oh, what an amazing job for them. It's just it's more like, yeah, yeah, we fucked up. And now, all right, never mind, you know, and we're going to go quietly away. I, yeah, they should be called out for that. But fuck, man, <laughs> it just sucks. And it sucks to have like the, the employees at the you know, various rungs um, ultimately pay the sins of what a uh, higher-up company did. But that is capitalism for you. All right, so let's talk about Crafting the Deep, though. Um, so we did do some changes based on Monday's stream. The big change I made, which I am increasingly liking, is actually removing the shrine thing at room W14, which is on the lowest level, and instead just combining that with the boss in room W11, and that way we can have just one uh, cutscene uh, trigger when they open the room. And Oh, and also I guess I'm eliminating the actual map, which I still can't find in here. I think there's might be some stuff missing in the Roll20 version. Um, that they normally find a map in the prisoner's hold uh, that then is supposed to clue them into the attack. So I'm going to make that more obvious, more cinematic in terms of uh, instead of them, them having to do the guesswork about, well, I guess this means there's some kind of like pirate attack or something coming. I guess we need to go deal with that. It just doesn't feel like a compelling enough main story um, hook. And I, it's funny, again, I I reviewed this adventure. I really liked it. But now that I'm digging deep into it, it's like, all right, now I got to make like all my little changes to uh, improve things the way I want to see it uh, improved. But that being said, by the way, there's a giveaway going on right now in our Discord. We did trigger the the CRIT, the Cauldron of Really Interesting Things, which is my dorky uh, giveaway system for our live streams every time somebody rolls a nat 20 uh, on ability checks, saving throws, or attack rolls. Like I guess I should say, we usually don't do it for initiative. I don't know why. <laughs> initiative is ability check, Eric. Um, but as soon as that hits 20, that triggers a giveaway. Um, I was a little disorganized. Uh, uh, this time getting into my giveaway uh, reservoir, but uh, we managed to secure a copy of Call from the Deep on the DMs Guild, courtesy of JVC Perry, which is awesome. Uh, and because I was late in getting that giveaway, usually I trigger it like pretty soon after the stream, uh, I gave everybody a little bit more time. So you've got until tonight, uh, my time, so another, I don't know what that is, eight hours or so, nine hours. Uh, you have to be a on our Discord server, and then it's all automated. Just go to the uh, the giveaway uh, channel, I guess, section of the Rogue Watson Discord server. And then you can enter to win a copy of Call from the Deep. So even though I've got some things that I change around, obviously I am running the campaign. So I still think uh, very, very highly of it. Uh, also, I will tease that we've got some more giveaways planned for the holidays. So definitely stick around for that, even though we'll be taking a vacation uh, the final week of December, I guess the week of the 25th. Uh, but anyway, I removed the uh, that map that they find. So basically, I'm, I'm kind of removing all the little clues and things, I guess, and putting them into one central area and making it one big, obvious, like, hey, here's what's coming. So when they open the door to the boss room, uh, which is here in W11, uh, the boss car, the Swagan Baron, will be in the middle of getting instructions via that Shield of Far Sight. Uh, which is going to be like hanging from this cool tentacled uh, statue, which I love. That's actually part of this map art here. And it will be um, giving instructions, kind of just like a wide, like, uh, you know, PSA or something, like instructions that you would hear, um, like management saying everybody's got their walkie-talkies or something. <laughs> it's essentially what's going on here, except it's, a, it's uh, the, I don't know if it's a Mind Flayer speaking it. Maybe it's maybe the Elder Brain itself, Zelix 4, is actually giving the instruction, presumably to like all of these multiple receptacles or servants that can hear it. So it's not necessarily just to Karg, it's like to everybody. So I want to try to convey that. But basically saying, hey, the time is nigh, the Armada uh, is ready, and, you know, we all have a bunch of like villainous talk on there. I think it's, I don't know, it's how mustache twirling the elder brain is, but I think it's going to be part of its uh, conquest and it, it keeps needing sentient people. And maybe it, it's obviously conquering land would be certainly next thing after it feels like it's conquered enough of the sea already. Uh, so, and I want to tease the fact that there's a lot of attacks coming, but Neverwinter is going to be the first attack. And that might be something told through 
visions that the players get. So it'll all be like a psychic message. And, uh, but because they're all from, or have been to Neverwinter, they might not be all from Neverwinter, but they've been to Neverwinter. I think Mac is specifically from Neverwinter, probably the only one. Uh, but they all met there, so they kind of rec they'll recognize the harbor from like the vision they receive. So I won't specifically have it in the instructions that like, oh, Neverwinter is the first city. But then when they see the like cutscene that's playing in my mind, and that would be like the, you know, video game style cutscene, they will recognize all the ships like coming towards the the city, and they'll recognize that skyline or whatever you want to call it as Neverwinter. And hopefully, all that will trigger the fact that like, oh shit, okay, so the next thread of this main quest is we got to get our asses uh, over to Neverwinter to uh, help them. But in the meantime, they will have uh, cleared, and with the addition of, you know, helping these prisoners out, um, the Sawagan threat, and thus actually mostly saved Gunbarg, although they are Gunderland, I guess the entire island, but they'll also still have Bronzo Mine, which we can transition to talking about that as well, because Bronzo Mine, I guess the prisoners are here, and I think they'll be taken to Bronzo Mine. I guess I'm not sure why there's still prisoners from Fiskerbach here. The timeline gets a little bit loosey-goosey, and it's something that I try to, like, keep track of, like, continuity's sake, but there are some cases where it's just, <laughs> you just gotta hand-wave some stuff and be like, look, it, I don't know the, the details, <laughs> if we're being honest. Let's see what it tells about in terms of prisoners. Uh, and I do expect the players to be, to take these stones also, which are not even sure how, uh, so there's an air bubble in this hold, keeping the prisoners sustained by six stones marked with an arcane rune. The runes keep a permanent refreshing bubble of air within their boundary. Uh, the stones can be found with a perception check. The runes can be deactivated. I don't know why you'd re deactivate them with a dispel magic spell or arcana check. The stone's magic ends if moved more than 20 feet apart, but resume their effect inside that range. So, like, why wouldn't you just collect these? Unless they're, like, giant stones, but could you just collect... Which I could make it to where they're... Well, the other option is I could make it is, like, their runes were painted just on the ship itself. I guess it depends on if I want to give the player this ability or not. Because, essentially, having magic stones that give you an air bubble... What did it say? 20 feet apart? Uh... So you could make, but you you could make your own submersible basically with a which that might come in handy for the context of this campaign is be able to craft some kind of submersible using uh, these magic stones. So that could actually be a pretty good reward. So I'm I'm tempted. Like usually I'm tying myself into knots to not let the players get their hands on something, but in this case, um, I I don't know. I feel like that's kind of a cool reward and something that they would be interested in keeping. Um, is a bunch of stones that give them an air bubble. And you don't even have to make it a submersible. I mean, if you swim good enough, you could just all carry a stone and thus create your own little bubble of okayness, I guess. I guess the question is, though, would they not be able to just go down, bubble of okayness, would they not be able to just go down into any underwater dungeon, each carry a stone, as long as you stay within 20 feet of each other, which is kind of a hard ask, or you could just drop the stones. I don't know. I, I think I think it, I think it's interesting. I guess it kind of creates some uh, tactical challenges to have that. It's just surprising that the designer didn't kind of detail that more because it seems like a pretty big thing to do. I mean, it does say like you can find them with a perception check and then dispel them and then. Magic ends if more than 20 feet apart, but resume their effect inside that range. So just a permanent air bubble effect as long as they're within 20 feet. If you did, did all six of them have to be within 20 feet? If like one of them is gone, then the whole thing goes down, perhaps. So I don't know. What, what do we think about this air bubble thing that they could potentially find? Otherwise, I got rid of basically any kind of little treasures in W15. It's just, it doesn't make sense. The Swagam would let them keep anything. So they're stripped of everything. Um, and they've been thrown inside this hole. Some of them have been there for maybe as long as a week. Although, again, it, I feel like anybody from Fiskerbot, which one of them is at least Western. I'll probably make two of them from Fiskerbot and the other two from, like, random shipwrecks or something that the Sawagan have been capturing. But the only reason they're capturing people is because they turn them over to the Mind Flayers who then, you know, eat their brains for sustenance and create thralls. Uh, but, I don't know, maybe they just have a backlog of prisoners. <laughs> you know, you know how this happens. Logistics is hard. Uh, it's... 
you've got to be able to organize all that and spreadsheet and get all that together. In order to cast spells with a verbal components, they could use an air bubble. That's very true. Oh, talking about Hasbro. Yeah, toy sales are down, apparently. I guess. I mean, I, I get that Hasbro is a toy company. Um, it's shocking that... Uh, well, I, I'd tell you this. If if it's two weeks after Black Friday and Hasbro's looked at the numbers, then they're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, our toys are not selling well. Then, yeah, maybe. Um, but I don't I don't know. I still feel like Magic and D&D are both doing well for them. But I guess I don't... Maybe I just base that on my own biases. I don't... I don't know. I mean, toys, I guess, would be like, what, My Little Pony, Transformers. What else is Hasbro? G.I. Joe. I haven't bought a Transformer toy in a while, but I do still buy some. They're not thinking to see any from where I am, but I've got a bunch in here. I've got uh, Starscream right here. <laughs> I've got I've got a really cool uh, Jurassic Park uh, Transformer set where it's like the the Jeep and then the uh, the T-Rex. And I saw they released another one that's the, uh, I think it's like the Dilophosaurus and the other kind of Jeep. <laughs> So give me, just tickle that nostalgia, man. I will. Just Transformers and Jurassic Park? Fuck yeah. I'll buy that every time. Or was I? Oh yeah, the air bubble. What do we think about the air bubble thing? <laughs> keep getting distracted. Um, I, I'm, I'm leaning towards letting the players keep it as kind of a cool thing. It'll be interesting to, to just punt it to the players and just kind of mention the fact there's an air bubble. And if they try and like say, well, wait, how is this air bubble created? And like, well, you see a bunch of stones that are marked with runes. And like, okay, well, can we like investigate like this and try to figure out the magic works and be like, sure. And that's probably when I would allow an arcana check to determine like, okay, these runes have been permanently inscribed. You know, this is way beyond what the Sawagan would normally be able to do. Uh, so you're not sure if they stole this or were bestowed upon it, which same thing as the shield of farsight, they were given this stuff. Um, so clearly that's something the mind flayers would be able to produce for them. Uh, and then they'd be like, well, can we take these stones? And then it becomes like, uh, yeah, I guess so. And I could always argue like, well, as soon as they leave this area, they turn off or some bullshit, but I don't know. Honestly, I'm I'm kind of tempted to let them let them keep it as kind of the treasure they can take. So I might make a, a note of that under six air bubble stones. Let's stay within twenty feet of each other. I do think it'd be a cool thing if they're like, "Well, can we go to like a a shipwright and con and construct some kind of vehicle?" Because to me. The only abusive thing comes from if they choose to, like, just keep the stones on their person and then they go into, like, battle with the stones and they're like, oh, well, now I've got an air bubble, I can speak, I can do whatever. You know, and then it gets a little bit like, okay, is this a bubble, like, I don't know, can it be damaged or how does, you know, I guess it can be, they did say it can be dispelled. In fact, does it term, permanently turn off? Be deactivated with a successful DC-20 Arcana check or a dispel magic spell. So that'd be pretty nasty. Um, the, the fact that a permanent... From what I can tell, a permanent effect can just be easily destroyed by a fairly low-level, yeah, third-level spell, which presumably, you know, a, a villain could do. That would be a bummer for them. Or what I would be hoping they would do is just gain this as a, like, a very, like, literally like a submersible that you could, you know, drop from your ship and, cr and just create, like, a pretty simple raft thing, but using this air bubble, and all of a sudden, hey, we've got, like, counterweights and whatever, and we can actually use this to go you know, up and down and kind of, I guess, add more time to the amount of um, breath we can do or, or even a place we could long rest in, which would which would solve my problem if there were, I guess it's really only the final, final dungeon is a massive underground, uh, under massive underground, massive underwater dungeon crawl, and that would necessitate them to long rest. So something like that would be uh, probably necessary if they have a chance to stop somewhere in long run. And it, it's probably in there somewhere in that dungeon that they have a chance. If we'll get a passing talking whale with an air bubble. We all know air clothes nothing more than a talking whale. You know, I did skip that, didn't I, from uh, from Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. Uh, there, there's a couple different avenues to make it to the Isle of Solstice, which I appreciate, uh, even though you kind of have to dig through the entire book to realize that there are multiple ones. And we ended up uh, just doing a uh, one that wasn't really an official way, which is of course, the Nautiloid airship ended up being our method, so I did not end up using the talking whale. Honestly, did not use too many talking animals. Uh, the one that I used was not even from the book, which was the talking fox. Uh, yeah, I don't know. The, the talking animal thing was... I don't think it fit very well into that adventure. 
Give them the air bubbles. Yeah, I think I will. I think I will. I think it'll be a fun little treasure thing. So uh, they'll have that, and, and that'll be a good reward. Obviously, saving people is its own reward, but really the reward is the magic items we gained along the way, and that's that would certainly be a, a cool one to have, some kind of air bubble stones that can work, but only if they're near each other. So at least it's not it's not too abusable. You can't just like pocket one and be like, oh, I've got a permanent air bubble now forever. Uh, one thing I thought of is mentioning that, okay, you can see below this deck um, or maybe they hear some, I don't know, but for whatever reason, maybe they just arrived with a, probably they just arrived with a recent captive. And I think I'll trigger the fact that you see a large shape swimming below and I'll have, I, I kind of cut scene it where the players can like duck, you know, you don't, you don't want to take over really quickly, but I want to paint this as kind of just an opening cut scene for this room in W13, which is the lower hold. And say like, okay, there's a shape, you know, a large shape with like a serpentine tail. Because marrows do not have feet, they have like mer tails. And it's bringing a prisoner. And, and they can duck and see from their position right now where they are, which is W9. They can see below, um, and I'll paint the cutscene like the, this marrow drags this prisoner. Would maybe have some kind of substance on their face to, you know, make them temporarily breathe, breathe underwater or something. And shove them inside this air bubble room, which I will also let the players see, and then have the two Sawagan kind of stand guard outside while the marrow kind of lingers around, maybe, I don't know, eating some random fish or something, just so he's still there. Uh, so that will clue the players and, and really giving them another chance to run some kind of execution plan if they want to, or just go down there and, and kick ass if they choose to do that. But basically, I don't want to force trigger this room, but I do kind of want to, because it's all open on the side, I feel like I should at least tell them that there's you know, something going on down there. So there's technically one little bit of dynamic lighting I could add if I wanted to. I just noticed that. Why don't we add a little bit there? So they'll actually have a lot of information, which they've already had a lot of information going into this area, but they kind of already know that the boss is down this way. Uh, at least that's where this guy was retreating to. And then they'll be clued into, uh, again, that cutscene going on down here. And then I'll remind them of the uh the chained door up here which i'm between you and me i'm really hoping they go there first even though it's totally up to them on the order in which they tackle things because that has the potential to gain a very useful ally with the undead uh deathlock dude hocha miraz as well as a cool spellbook item some more magic items all that good stuff i am of course worried about time I would really, really, really love to get this session done. That's something we might, I might be able to save for a DM roundtable topic as well is, I don't, I don't know how many people run into this issue of not wanting D&D sessions to go too long because I feel like most people, um, I just, anecdotally, um, have long sessions in general, right? You you play like, we get together for D&D, &D, we're going to play for four or five, six hours. That's not at all what we do, right? We get together and play for like two, two and a half, a three hour session would be insanely long for us. And because we all have families and just busy schedules, uh, you know, it, it's even, I'm just blessed we can even still get together for two hours sometimes if we can do that. Um, and the fact that we're about to take two weeks off, uh, I would really like to get this whole area done. It would just be really better timing rather than being at the end of it. So that may necessitate having to cut some of this stuff. Bare minimum, we need the boss fight. We need that to happen. Uh, so the Karg scene, all that. And then the prisoners, I still plan on having that scene. If they wait a long time, if that's their whole execution, then I could just have the Marrow leave. I mean, that could be something. And then, you know, if, if we were having a normal pacing where we didn't matter about the time, then I would have them come back at some point or have them enter the fight. But otherwise, maybe it would just be okay with him leaving. And I, I realized part of the... Pacing issue is just going to make things easier for the players is the bummer. Like every change I make to make it so they can get through this is going to make it easier because it's it's combat. Combat is what takes a while and having fewer combat encounters is what's going to make this um, get done sooner. Same thing with the giant lightning eel. That's a pretty easy cut. I think it's a cool creature. Um, ideally, I would like to at least execute it for a round or two, but then have it escape because it's just a beast. So maybe it can do its initial attack if they choose to explore this room and see like the glinting glinting ingots uh, beneath the rubble. Then they can uh, have that eel dart out, use its like current attack 
you know, roll initiative, have maybe a single round go by, and then if it starts taking some nasty damage, it realizes a lot of people here, then it can just fuck off and uh, disappear somewhere. I'm okay with that. Uh, so that'll be a way to make things a little bit quicker. Um, the mimic thing also... How much life does this thing have? 29. I still like the mimic as a... a, a kind of a trap, a hazard they have to get through. Oh, it's actually got fewer than average hit points. Mimics are... Pretty high hit points for a CR2, 58. Uh, it's got 49 on mine. I don't think Mimics stick around too long. I think once they do their initial shocking attack thing, then once everybody kind of gangs up on them, they can kind of kick the Mimics' ass. It doesn't really have very high AC. doesn't have any good resistances. So I don't see that being a big problem either. And they may be able to just solve this one without a fight. I'll, I'll put a little symbol on there about fish pointing to the door. Um, and then... Yeah, the door will have kind of an odd, like, large, maybe weird fish-shaped keyhole. <laughs> they probably mean that's some kind of key. But maybe if they go in and try to, like, if they do anything, like, well, I'm going to try to pick the lock or I'll try to break the door down, then we'll obviously trigger the mimic fight. Also, I don't think I'll have fish in this immediate vicinity. I think that's a little too easy. I think I'll have fish down here that the marrow's chomping on. So if they try to go down, they will run afoul of the marrow and trying to grab their fish. And obviously the boss fight, we need that to happen his hit points can be very fluctuating. It, you know, depends on how the fight's going. And also him bringing in his shark reinforcements will depend on how the fight is going. Uh, I do not have any kind of legendary or lair actions for him. Do you think that's something we should look at, actually, now that I think about it? He's a boss, and he's kind of by himself. That usually makes them pretty... Uh, we, he, he already has triple attack, which is huge. And he's most likely going to have advantage on whoever he's attacking, as long as they're missing some hit points. And he's got great defenses, good hit points. I don't want to make him too damn powerful. He's CR5, which is more than enough for, again, three PCs. We're going to be down a PC again this Friday. I guess it depends on if they have Hoach Mraz with them or not, how nasty this fight is going to be. But I really don't want to make him overtuned. I guess the other thing I can do is maybe reduce his number attack, a number of attacks and instead give him... Legendary action, so it doesn't all come at once, maybe. Um, but, I mean, the players are only level 4, so I do get a little bit worried about their capabilities, especially at only uh, 3 players. We all love the Talking Fox. <laughs> no, no. That was... Nobody liked the Talking Fox. But no, I appreciate that. Uh, so yeah, that's basically Wreck the Golden Crown. I think um, I will do my damnedest to get things done here. Again, I think the three most important rooms, Hochmaraz with a social encounter, the boss fight, and then the prisoner hold, which will be a fight plus, you know, rescuing the prisoners. They'll get the um, that uh, the critical scene they need from the boss fight. And then the extra stuff is the lightning eel, uh, kind of a brief battle, and then the mimic guarding the treasure chest, which, oh, I did replace because one of the uh, items in the chest was a leather... Mariner's armor, and that does my party no good. So I'm going to replace that with another uncommon item, which does grant uh, water breathing capabilities. And I believe is already in this adventure. And in fact, is something they would have gotten from the Gallows Grotto, but I did not run that location because I didn't really need a side quest in Gunbarg. Sorry, I'm trying to look for the treasure. Uh, and that is the Cloak of the Manta Ray, which is a really good water-based cloak. Uncommon, wondrous item. While wearing, and does not require attunement either, which is kind of surprising. While wearing this cloak with its hood up, you can breathe underwater and you have a swimming speed of 60 feet. Pulling the hood up or down requires an action. So that's actually pretty heat. For an uncommon item, just instantly giving one character like the best underwater capabilities. Like swimming speed of 60 feet means you are faster than most creatures in the water and you negate any kind of disadvantage to water battles. And obviously, breathing underwater is humongous. So that's a very... It's only uncommon, which I was looking to replace the Mariner's Armor with an uncommon item. And then this would have been rewarded to them. Had they done Gallo's Grotto, they would have actually gotten one of these uh, towards the end of that little uh, mini dungeon. Also, they've gotten a bag of tricks, which I don't plan on giving them another one of those. <laughs> We've done that too many times in too many campaigns. Uh, we like them, but I think we need one here. So yeah, they'll get a Cloak of the Manta Ray out of that chest. I was weirded out that one of the chests contains a bunch of potions. And I was like, well, we're underwater. Like, how well can potions be used or even be preserved underwater? I think it 
in uh, Hochmaraza's room, I think it mentioned the potions were in like a sealed thing. Let's see. Character's passive perception of 20 or higher. Notice a locked box beneath the bed. Oh, maybe it's just a locked box. Okay. Yeah, I thought it was sealed. Inside's a potion of vitality, potion of greater healing, and potion of mind reading. So he's got more potions in his room, but then one of the chests is also just full of a bunch of potions and supplies, I guess. I don't know. I don't I, I don't know how realistic I should be about like finding shit underwater and what kind of conditions they were in. The the designer does say that a lot of the stuff down here needs to be cleaned. Uh, like a lot of the treasure is not in good condition, but the only ones that I could actually see is like coins have to be cleaned, which is just like mechanically it's just go get them clean, I guess. I don't understand. <laughs> uh, but the one of the magic items they get, which is also in the treasure, this cube of force, is broken but can be repaired by a spellcaster for 500 gold pieces. That is a little too expensive. I realize it's a rare magic item, but for having to repair a magic item, which we've never done before in any campaign before, and I don't even know if the players would know where to go for that, I could still do that, but I would reduce that to like a hundred gold, I think. Cause it's like, I, I guess at that point you're kind of buying the item although you've already got it. I don't know, but 500 seems absolutely insane. Uh, it's a, it's a cool item though. You can turn on different force fields for different kind of things. Spell effects can't pass through it. Living matter can't pass through it. Nothing can pass through it. Uh, I mean, it technically could make the character like immune, but then anything that can't pass through it. Obviously, they can't pass outside of it either, right? So it creates like this, it's a two-way street, I guess, or a zero-way street <laughs> in terms of uh, you, you'll give yourself like the penalties as well. So kind of interesting item for them to be uh, using, I suppose. In fact, I wonder if you can actually use it as a barrier for going underwater. Gases, wind, and fog can't pass through. Non-living matter can't pass through the barrier. Walls, floors, and ceilings can pass through at your discretion. So there you go. You could probably seal yourself in and create a barrier uh, without any water inside. And then you could still cast spells. Move. I'd have to look up Cube of Force, actually. This might be causing a lot of like having to look up different things. But that is included here as one of their items. I don't know why Hoach Mraz, I guess, lost it. Or maybe it got stolen from him. Or he just kept it somewhere else in the ship. Why it's not with him. Or I could move it and put the cube of force in with his gear and say that's part of his stuff that he will give the players should they finish clearing the ship and then obviously not killing him and then he will turn that over so maybe i could exchange uh the cube of force with the uh the potions he's got although it'd be funny he gives that to him and he's like ah, i'm sorry it's broken but any spellcaster in any major town will be able to fix this right up for you i'm sure that'd be pretty shitty <laughs> He could also still give the potions, though. Although they find, like I said, they find more potions, healing to greater healing, a potion of animal friendship up there in the chest, and a bunch of coins and stuff. So I think there's plenty of treasure. Unlike the, the crash site, there was plenty of treasure in this location. It's layer actions. You have to use them. The group is doing poorly. Just have it in your back pocket. I do like layer actions, probably even more than legendary actions, because... They're so much better organized for me, the DM, to use them. With legendary actions, it's very tricky because you kind of have to interrupt players' turns or just remember through your own turn. You're like, okay, I have to remember how many, like, actions I've got every round. And then they happen, like, between people's turns. So I have to just interrupt and say, oh, no, but then I do this. It, it just feels odd uh, pacing-wise in any combat I've done them. Whereas layer actions, it's a very nice, clean, hey, initiative 20, they get to do one of these three things and you just can't use the same one back to back. Like that is so very nice and clean and it's it's easy to put it on the initiative order as like here's the layer action. So yeah, I'm a big fan of those. In fact, what we could do is pull out, uh, what was that, what was it called? Home field advantage, right? That had all the layer actions. Let's see if I still have that somewhere. Home field advantage. You're not going to see it like I see it, but that's okay. And I'm going to look up to see if there is Sawagan in here. Uh, so what? Sawagan Baron is in here. Page 187. Layer actions. On initiative count 20, the Baron can take a layer action to cause one of the following effects. I'm literally just looking up this DM's Guild 
property that or a product uh, that I've been singing praises for for probably two years now. A strong water current passes through the lair. Every creature within the lair must succeed on a DC 15 strength save or be pushed up to 15 feet. Every creature who fails the save is pushed in the same direction, and a creature with a swim speed can choose whether or not it succeeds on the save. Oh, so if you have a swim speed, swim speed, it doesn't even affect you, I guess. I'd probably give you more advantage. Um, pushing... Let's see, how does that help? I guess if he has to reposition or something, or if you can push them into things... Not that interesting to just push people around. At least in the, I mean, normally it is, but in an underwater section of a ship, doesn't seem to be much use to that. Uh, if a creature which is holding its breath, oh, here we go. If a creature which is holding its breath is pushed against a wall or object, it must succeed on a DC 15 con save or accidentally let loose 1d4 minutes worth of air. All right, I've got to read the second part of it. So I guess you have a chance of having them lose their breath if they're holding their air. I think only Mac is still actually holding his breath. Uh, Cyclo's magic empowers hunters and predators. Until initiative count 20 on the next round, whenever a creature within the lair hits another creature with a bite attack, it gains a number of temporary hit points equal to half the damage dealt. Okay. Uh, but it has to hit with a bite attack. And unfortunately, these guys are not actually powered by Sekala. These guys are actually powered by the Mind Flayer. Which, that's something I could add in there. Is just replaces layer actions with, like, shit empowered by the Mind Flayers. Uh, which is, I could do something similar, like, that I did with uh, Burns Transformation, where, you know, he did, like, the Mind Spike spell or something. Sekala's magic marks one creature which does not have all of its hit points as a prey, causing its blood to become a thick black substance which obstructs vision through the water. Till initiative count 20 on the next round, a 10-foot radius sphere on the creature becomes heavily obscured. A creature with a blood frenzy trait can see through the area as though it had 10 feet of blind sight. Hmm. Fortunately, both of those are specifically for Sekala stuff. So maybe not so relevant, unfortunately, with what I'm looking for in that case. Um, otherwise, the uh, yeah, the layer action could be like the shield of farsight doing things, which kind of makes more sense. Unfortunately, what it actually does is super nasty because it can do the mind blast action from a mind flare, which is really, really scary. The mind blast action, as you will recall, is a 60-foot cone triggering a DC 15 intelligence save or taking 4d8 plus 4 psychic damage and be stunned for a minute. It's an average of 22 psychic damage and stun. You can repeat the save at the end of each turn. That's real bad. It's not something I can just throw around. Uh, Mind Flayer is a CR7 creature. That is really bad. <laughs> oh... So yeah, unfortunately, every layer action I add is going to... I get Normally, with a boss, yes, I want to add layer action. Add something for that boss to do and help him. But honestly, I think this boss is already fairly strong for these guys. I mean, the only, the only worry, I guess, is that he gets CC'd and can't do anything. Or they somehow manage to kite him because he doesn't have any good range attacks. He's all melee. So I guess the one thing I could do would be to give him like a legendary resistance or something. I don't think the players actually have a whole lot of crowd control abilities. I mean, Savra is the only spellcaster who's going to be here. Mac, I don't think, can cast spells underwater since he's holding his breath. And she's mainly specced for damage, which is fine by me. Yeah, she doesn't actually have any uh, crowd control abilities. I guess cause fear. Wisdom Saber become frightened of you until the spell ends. Which, frightened is just disadvantage. I mean, that's that's still a good debuff to put on him, but that's not the end of the world. It's not like it's going to lock him down. So I don't think I have to worry about that, but... Yeah, I think... I don't know. My worry is that the layer actions are going to make him too powerful. Obviously, I wouldn't use Mind Blast. I'd use some kind of weaker effect. like Similar to that like Mind Spike that I did for Burn's ongoing effect. But still... 
know, maybe I can just do smaller amounts of psychic damage or, yeah, some kind of debuff that happens. Uh, I'll look at, like, maybe low-level spells. Like, I guess we could play around and make it a little bit interesting. We could also make it where the players could target that eye, the shield, and destroy it. I don't know if it says it has... It just says, if a shield of Farsight is destroyed. So you can destroy it. Uh, but it doesn't have... I don't know how you would do that. It's magically implanted eyeball on the outer surface of a non-magical shield. Shield becomes a magic item. Mind Flayer can give the shield to a thrall. Hang it on the wall and its layers. On the shield's on the same plane of existence. The Mind Flayer can see through the shield's eye, which has dark vision, and then can use the Mind Blast action. So it doesn't mention how to destroy it. So maybe if you just target it with... I, I, I could just come up with stats for it. It's got some kind of AC... And maybe even a damage threshold or something. But if you can damage that, then that would remove... I mean, that, that would make the fight more interesting and dynamic. I'm just worried that would also make things more challenging, where I don't think I need to make it more challenging, especially because, again, we're down a, a PC. And, and honestly, I don't know if he's going to even have his full... He's got 89 hit points right now that we're looking at. I It may be where he gets down to 20 hit points and, like, yep, that's a killing blow. Like, we'll just kind of see... I use this to spy on the party. Nice. Just reading about Cube of Four sounds like a hard work. Bag of Tricks is easier and more fun. It is, but I feel like we've also used Bag of Tricks so many times. Just make the boss immune to one shit. One shot kill arrows. Yeah, the Max Brutal. It's interesting. I think when he gets multi attack, it's going to really open the playing field because right now there's a big difference between him uh, hitting his target and him missing the target. Despite his pretty good attack modifier, he's actually missed with a number of attacks. Um, and that really changes things, because when he hits, he can do, like, 20 damage easy. Or he doesn't hit and doesn't do that damage. With multi-attack, suddenly he's got, you know, twice the chance to do that, and his DPS, or DPR, damage per round, is going to go way the fuck up. Yeah, I like the idea that the, the shields are basically what every different, uh group has that they're and the fact that it's they're like again they're like the walkie-talkies that the you know head honcho is talking through and giving instructions to um the fact that a, I definitely want to convey that like the swagan aren't the only ones receiving this message in fact they're late to the party they're still way back in uh you know an island off Gunderland and still supplying swagan to the uh the resident mind flare here but most of the forces are already having left the area and uh, heading towards everyone. In fact, when they get to Bronzo Mine, I plan on having evidence that a lot of the army was gathered there, that they were given, like, you know, that's where they created all their thralls and uh, were uh, maybe given enchantments and items and things to help with the assault. I was thinking about even replacing the, uh, the, the mine pit area in Bronzo Mine with water. So that maybe the ships and creatures came and went through this giant, like, underwater uh, tunnel system. And, and part of the cool enchantment I can introduce, which I think is talked about in this, uh, in, in Chapter 2 somewhere, is the fact that some of the ships, one of the factions that's attacking one of the cities, as written, is uh, has been given enchantments to where the ships can go, like, underwater, like, completely submersible with this magic. And that's something that maybe they... Uh, were outfitted with in Bronzo Mine. So that'll give them further context. So either, and I mentioned this before, either location will give them, I think, the information they need to continue the main quest. But obviously I would like for them to do both locations because it's uh, it's adventure content and it's it's part of it's it's part of the quest line to fully uh rescue the island of Gunderland from the threat. So that'll be the first thing they do. And that feels nice because it's a local area and that's tier one. And then they'll, you know, advance to level five and then have to go, uh, hopefully thwart the bigger plans in chapter two. Do me this adventure now? Hey, tribal. Or he's in chapter three. Okay. So you've got the big open world section, uh, tribal. I would love to ask you, uh, I guess, did you run all three city attacks, or did you choose one to run in Chapter 2? And 
if you did choose one, which one did you choose between Neverwinter, Baldur's Gate, and Waterdeep? My plan is to run Waterdeep, but I'll probably use elements of all three attacks to really create an epic, like, oh shit, like all the forces of the sea are coming in to attack this one city as their first big assault. And, and probably use, like, all three main quest lines from those attacks, like the one about the Abolith, where they're trying to, like, capture the mage. And then I think the other one is, like, a conch shell they're trying to do in terms of having the players be given uh, specific rescue or thwarting attempts that aren't just, all right, we just got to fight these, like, pirates and forces. Like, we have specific goals to do. And that's a tricky thing is when you've got this big cinematic war going on uh we don't we're not playing an rts we're still playing a you know third party a third person action game so you need to be able to distill that down to uh more immediate uh threats and tasks and concerns while still having that you know surrounding crazy epic attack going on is the goal but you know in, in a video game you can literally force the player by putting out you know visible walls and all this shit to where it's all in the background versus D and D. It's like you're kind of at the mercy of uh, what the players choose to do. Although you can gently and not so gently guide them towards doing certain things that you want them to do. As the DM says, add some layer actions. You don't have to use them if the group is doing poorly. Oh, yeah, I read that one. So yeah, uh, I think the I think the layer actions will be uh, involved with psychic attacks from the Mind Flayer somehow. We'll, we'll look at low-level spells for that. But yeah, it, it'll depend on, I guess, how's it going. A lot of it depends on how they're doing when they get to this fight, too. That'll probably be where I make my decision during the actual live session. It's like, is this the first thing you guys went and did? Are you still pretty well-rested with spells and stuff? Or are you guys really hurting really bad and it's going to be nasty? And then I'll make this fight, you know, not nearly as horrendous, I guess. I really hope they get Hochmaraz on their side because that gives me a special DM power that I can bail them out of a jam if I need to. Because again, I, I feel bad they're going to be reduced only three. That gets, that gets very tricky. And unfortunately, they will not be getting level five after this either, which I also kind of feel bad about because this, the crash site didn't, but this does feel like a full-on like dungeon crawl with you know multiple enemies and, and environmental hazards and everything going on, rescuing people. And yet, I really want them to do uh, Bronzo Mine after this, and then only after they do Bronzo Mine will I then level them up to five, even though they've got the main quest. It, it is possible they end up skipping the mine. They could make that decision. I would be uh, disappointed and surprised if they do, because we usually don't skip things completely, although it has happened where I've given the players adventuring locations. In fact, this happened in Tomb, I believe, and they were like, either it was so far away, or they only had like the barest ideas of what was there, like they ended up not doing a thing. Uh, it does happen. But still, I feel like they would get the rest of the context. And and the prisoners, at least one of them, Westra, would be like, hey, I, I know that they've taken, you know, they're, they're taking people to Baronzo Mine. Um, and just, yeah, give further context, like you need to get there. And then they'll see the family resemblance between her and Burn and be like, oh, shit. <laughs> They did never winter. They arrived in Waterdeep in time for that one because the attack on the wreck of the Golden Crown slowed at the Sawagan attack. Yeah. Um, I I guess, are the Sawagan normally one of the attacking horses? Because what is it? It's a bunch of like the Deep Scion folks, Sea uh, Spawn, Kraken Society is attacking. Uh, you've got these undead pirates who are attacking. And then... I think the Swagon is probably this one, yeah. Which I would probably replace the Swagon with just the Black Armada, just like regular pirates. But like, also uh, like Thralls of the Mind Flayers, like, which I guess that could be the Kraken Society too. Uh, so quickly now as we're ending the, uh, getting close to the end of the uh, Crafting the Deep session, this is the Bronzo Mine location. Um, and I think what I'm going to change here. This is a weird one because it's not that big of an area. It does contain a straight-up Mind Flayer, and he's not even a regular boss flayer, Mind Flayer. He's a boss Mind Flayer who is a named, uh, like, lieutenant of the enemies. I guess it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if I leveled them up before this one. I keep thinking they have to get through 
Bronzo Mine first. But maybe they don't. Maybe I would feel better if they leveled up to 5 after that. And then they could do Bronzo Mine at 5th level. And then obviously still be 5th level for all of the stuff happening in Chapter 2. Maybe that would be better pacing. I may actually make that change. Because having to fight a CR-10 Mind Flayer is what the fuckery. <laughs> like a normal Mind Flayer CR-7. This dude's CR-10 has extra abilities. Uh, he's supposed to be like one of the big bosses kind of of the campaign. There's like four different Lieutenant Mind Flayers that work directly for the Elder Brain. And he's one of them. And he was the guy that like helped outfit this army. And he basically stays, he's the only one on the surface. The rest are all underwater. I think the rest are all like in the final dungeon too. Is which I might try to sprinkle more of them. At least one more, uh, a little bit earlier on. But at 5th level, they would at least be way better equipped. I think that's... He's pretty much the only main threat, though. He's got some, like, Thralls who have the commoner stat block, but with attacks. Uh, which is kind of weird. I may actually make them slightly stronger. And then there's Cranium Rats, which we do know the Cranium Rats can be very nasty. They actually fought the Cranium Rats as a boss fight in the crash site, basically. Ended up being a pain in the ass for them because they've got the Dominate Monster and Confusion abilities. Uh, and there's supposed to be a warning system uh, for the Mind Flayer here. So it could be really bad if the Cranium Rats and the Mind Flayer join in a fight. What I'm mainly thinking about changing is replacing this whole area here, which is the like actual mine area, and flood it with water. And maybe say that's like the part of the changes they made because in my campaign, this is like where they outfitted their army. And their army was all like, you know, water-based creatures. So it kind of makes sense that... Uh, it would have been like this big underwater cove thing here, and then the, maybe even the ships could go up and get their enchantments and then go back down to the tunnel or something, and they can learn about that, uh, which means we would eliminate all these rust monsters and just fill this area with water, and probably not, I don't know, maybe there's some kind of carrion creature I can look at lurking in here in the water in case... But the weird thing about this dungeon design is there's no reason for them to go over here at whatsoever. Like, nothing. Like, I guess you could explore the water and find, maybe I could leave some treasure in here and some monster. But otherwise, there's nothing over here. There's like a Grick hanging out over here, but there's no reason to go over here. It's all to do with this door, and then that door just leads to a few rooms. There's a hidden treasure room, which is weirdly like, you're, there's no way you find that unless I make it more obvious. And then a couple of the like just leftover last-minute thralls this guy's making... And then he's still there. Like, I guess you can take him out. So it feels less like a full-on dungeon crawl. Almost more of a single encounter with the Mind Flayer. Especially if I eliminate uh, these Rust Monsters and kind of fill this area with water. So that's kind of the big change I'm thinking of making for uh, this location. I think it would make more sense. The fact that they were outfitting a bunch of, you know, water-based creatures. And then I can flood this whole area. And then get rid of, like, the weird madness effect here. I don't think I really need to do that. Uh, necessarily either so I might be changing a few things but maybe the pacing would work better if they did level up after this se uh, this Friday session again assuming we can get done with regular the golden crown I'm going to try my hardest to get through it may have to do a little bit of a later session but hopefully folks are okay with that because we're off for the next two weeks uh, and that would be session 12 and then we'll have spent gosh how many sessions would that have been Checks notes. Let's see. One, two, three, four. That'll be five sessions at level four. Uh, we spent the first, wow, five sessions at level two. Then we spent only two sessions at level three, which was just the salvage operation mission. And then five sessions at level four. Now, I was thinking about having them do Bronzo Mine, at which would probably take, I don't know. I feel like it would take more than a session. Maybe we could, maybe we could get through Bronze of Mine in a single session. Especially if I eliminate these rust monsters, turn this into water, and basically kind of ferry them. It just depends on how much they explore, I guess. Um, and then they would be level 5 for however long Chapter 2 ends up being. How long did Chapter 2 take you, Tribal? And I, I plan on... It, it's going to be a lot of work, honestly. Chapter 2... We're going to have to start working on it. Um, I'll, I'll make those changes. We'll, we'll probably talk about Bronzo Mine um, 
next time. I will plan on doing a stream on Monday, next Monday. I honestly don't know if I'll do one on Thursday or not, even though we do have a, uh, a patron game that night, and then we won't do our stream on Friday, and then I'll definitely be off the entire last week of December, but I'm still caught up to where I'll I'll have more time, obviously, the first uh, week of... Oh, actually, do I want to... I probably won't do it on Monday. It's the first. Oh, it's going to be awkward. So I'm probably not going to do a crafting stream on New Year's Day either. That's also a holiday. Hmm. Mm, mm, mm. Well, stay tuned to the Discord channel, and uh, I usually try to put updates on YouTube in terms of what the streaming schedule is going to be. But as of right now, I'll at least plan on doing a crafting stream on Monday, and we'll go over uh, probably more of Bronzo Mine at that point, because hopefully we'll have finished Wreck the Golden Crown. And then, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards getting them to fifth level, maybe even before the mine, and then they'll be have been level four for five sessions. And then we'd be level five for if Bronzo Mine's only one session, and then for however many, I, I don't think... Because I don't plan on having them any, have any uh, water encounters on the way back to the city. But I do plan on having a lot of stuff for them to do in the city. But still, a lot of stuff, is that going to equal you know, more than four sessions worth? Uh, because I, ha- I plan on leveling them up to six after they finish uh, saving Neverwinter. So, yeah, maybe it won't be actually a bad idea if we go ahead and level them up to five after... Rec- I know I'm waffling on this forever. I just need to make a decision. <laughs> The whole time I was picturing, okay, once they're done with Gunderland, the island, all the Chapter 1 stuff, then I'll level them to 5, and they'll be 5th level for Chapter 2, and basically be 5th level for all of Chapter 2, which I believe is how it's designed. Uh, Where does it say Adventure, like, Summary? Character Advancements. Character Advancements Sidebars. I think they're like hidden in here though i'm not sure uh is it under just wreck of the golden crown is that the last one they do i'm trying to figure out where they where they mention okay yeah it is so it's just hidden in here it's not a sidebar in the roll 20 uh the character should be fifth level by the time they reach neverwinter waterdeep or baldur's gate inscribed in chapter two and then i don't know where it would be uh in here but i believe they are supposed to level to sixth level after they finish one or all of these cities. But I don't know where... Yeah, I forget where that information is put it, uh, is placed in here. I wish it was a sidebar, but I think it's just kind of hidden in the text. So, But that's I think that's what I've written down in my notes. But that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if, if they're also level 5 for Bronzo Mine. I think that would make them be able to take on a Mind Flare a little bit better. And it's kind of the coda to this first chapter, I guess. And then they'll still be level 5 for... Uh, all of this stuff, but that stuff, I mean, as long as they're not one level for too long, that's fine. Like, that's kind of the one thing I'm trying to uh, fix and improve on. Yeah, yeah, you should. Uh, I've enjoyed having your insight, Tribal, for sure. In fact, I one of the reasons I love running official uh, 5e adventures and content is um, really both directions. One, so folks can see how I run things and uh, the changes that I make. And also so I can learn from others and get their feedback on how they made change. It's, it's all just a collaborative process that we're doing here to try and create uh, the best possible adventure for my specific group. You know, even stuff that worked really well for other groups may not work uh, for my group. So obviously I'll have the last say on all those changes, but it is very helpful to have folks who have played uh, this one. Now, this is probably the, well, it is the first time we have not played an official 5e campaign. This is a third-party 5e campaign, so a little bit different, even though I am including elements of Ghosts of Saltmarsh. I still called this Call from the Deep because that's the main structure I'm using, and then I'll insert, you know, those various Ghosts of Saltmarsh modules to where really a lot of, and you said you're in Chapter 3 right now, um, a lot of what I'll be doing with Chapter 3, instead of doing probably a lot of the locations it suggests, is instead using those modules from Ghosts of Saltmarsh as like full-blown uh, adventure locations and dungeon crawls and stuff, which that's still coming, uh, you know, in the future. We're going to have to talk a lot about having to do Chapter 2. Chapter 2 is going to be a lot of work because we have no maps for that stuff, except for, I guess, the one dungeon area in each location. But in terms of like 
you know, fighting on the seas and doing some dock stuff. And it, it makes me nervous because the players have a lot of options on what they want to do and, and how they want to handle different things. And I can, again, try to guide them towards certain things, but it's it's going to be a lot trickier than just a random, not random, but a, a standard uh, dungeon crawler, random encounter or something. All right. Uh, that's all plans for the future, though. For now, I think that is going to do it for uh, today's version of Crafting the Deep. If you enjoy the content, please do check out patreon.com slash roguewatson. Shouts to Platinum Patrons, Joe, Will, Thomas, Stan, Brandon, Zenersider, David, Eclectic, Roleplay, Role, Christopher, Corey, Big Nut, John, F, John, L, Scott, Eric, Tyler, Nathan, Camp, Crystal, Lake, Counselor, Andrew, Daryl, Reldren, Captain, Woody, 7970, Andy, Patrick, Jason T, Jason T, and Ismail. And Gold Patrons, RPG, Papercrafts, Pretty Boy, and Newman, Dunn's Lounge, San Lumpy's Buds, Drum, Nathan, Fast, Scott, Scott, Refus, Carolyn, Jerry, and Thomas. Thank you all very much for your support. If you are a patron, you can join me tonight for our DM Roundtable. Uh, which is going to be recording tonight. Uh, we will have our normal session tomorrow, uh, and then I will plan on doing a crafting stream on Monday, but then after that, we kind of get into the holidays, so stay tuned to the uh, Discord and everything like that. All right, see you tomorrow for d and